Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This conversation with Dave, my son, which we had on a beautiful Western Maine Lake uh, just a few days ago, and I miss it already, and I miss him already, uh, is sort of like that Monty Python segue that they had in their original TV show called, And Now for Something Completely Different. (laughs) And Dave and I would listen to that show, watch it, and chuckle, and how well did we know back then that we would be thinking alike now for something completely different, something both of us crave. This conversation will be different, and that's a good thing. And I want to have it represent a kind of practice that Dave has developed since childhood. And that is practice with a grounding and curiosity about what we call science fiction. And yet what I think he thinks of as other ways that the world and life and the mind could be working if we would open our minds and ponder it and consider it. So that um, aspect of of the practice podcast is that there are probably countless people who have among their practices the pursuit of ideas that we call science fiction. Some of them actually write them and make movies about them, (laughs) which I would love to see Dave do. But in regard to social inaction, which is where we land each time, He's giving us a more expanded version of what we started to hear in the last two episodes that Dave and I recorded. So with no further ado, but only to say, I'm real proud to have had this conversation where Dave grew up and maybe someday I will too. Here is Dave Furon Jr. Welcome to another episode of the Practice Podcast, where I speak with my very smart son, Dave, about things that I know nothing at all, (laughs) which is what the fun of this kind of conversation is. Well, I know something of it, but what I want to point out is that we are remote. We've gone remote to the wilds of Maine for this conversation. And uh, I think it'll be kind of fun to see how it comes through in a beautiful setting, actually where we spent many years with the kids growing up in Western Maine. So Dave, take it away. (laughs) Well, I thought uh, after our last podcast, we might try um, continuing the theme because of a few loose ends. Uh, All of this uh, in the context of the science fiction novel I may never get around to writing. Um, uh, But I think it's been an exercise in jumping around with the inaction model and taking it to from one extreme, like what is the nature of quantum physics or 
the way the brain works, to the other, what's the nature of the universe and whether, um, given that uh, intelligence, uh, as uh, we've been explaining it, as as evolved for human beings, um, it doesn't seem so complex that it couldn't happen um, countless times on other planets mm-hmm. um, over the last billion or so years. What are the implications of of having um, gotten to our uh, level of advanced uh, apes able to use uh, symbolic communication, but already getting into um, advanced extremes of what we can do with computers and commuter minds and possibly artificial intelligence? Project that forward in a classic sci-fi um, scenario, uh, but also one of, of uh, that philosophers like to get into, and mm-hmm. uh, what can we do with it? Um, we talked about um, some uh, classic dilemmas from um, the beginnings of, of philosophy, um, which can be uh, uh, summarized as, as dualism or idealism, materialism, idealism. We've been talking about a material brain Yep, and maybe explaining as much as we can down to to, down to the molecular level of why how our brains could work, without having to propose that there's a um, magical uh, idealist world um, that's really making it all work, and that we are mere projections of a of a um, greater um, energetic whole that um, behind underlying everything. Mm-hmm. But then we threw out the idea that maybe we are. Uh, both, and that the other side of it, I'm proposing uh, in my sci-fi conjecture, is that the uh, I- world of idealism and even the world of potential simulated aspects of the universe are a technology that's perhaps built into the fabric of the universe to solve particular problems. Those problems may be where we're coming up with right now in our lives as human beings, getting to the very limits of what uh, symbolic voice communication is capable of in the minds that are able to do that and what might be the next step beyond that if we needed to do convenient things like perhaps survive death or um, tap into uh, shared knowledge or really have a kind of a computer interface with artificial intelligence that doesn't... Um, uh, in the process, uh, destroy our individuality, individuality as uh, semi-biological beings. So, is that enough uh, context so far? <laughs> <laughs> it is, in, in an interesting way, because as I'm watching you across this little table and, and listening carefully, I'm also watching nature at work. I'm watching cat and nine tails outlined uh, on a pretty lake and I'm watching trees that have been standing for perhaps almost a hundred years. The natural world, Dave, is that part of the technology you're thinking of that even what we look out at right now could be transformed at some point? Some might say, some in the uh, extreme idealist camp would, or the extreme simulated universe camp would say, this is all just a, a, a somewhat cruel illusion. Uh, if we were to strip away the babbling brook that you might hear in the background, yeah. 
it uh, is really just uh, the equivalent of bits and bytes and digital information. Maybe it doesn't have to be digital per se, but um, it's uh, just uh, um, an illusion that our brain puts together, um, much like the Matrix movies have have people uh, wake take the red pill, the the. Uh, the the big wire comes out of the back of their heads and they find themselves in a completely different world. <laughs> um, I, I want to I want to provide a, a middle way where um, All right. there may be something uh, more to it, but that we need a natural world and there's some very special things about the natural world that may be uh, universal principles that are, are universal enough that they might explain something as complex as as a a universal mind okay that some might call a god or 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 uh, but but also how a a complex universal mind i think we touched on last time isn't necessarily a simple one to propose either the, the notion of omniscience of omnibenevolence um uh in in which there may still be fundamental principles uh, such as entropy, where if you knew everything and knew everything there was that was going to occur um, and were a complete expression of every uh, atom in the universe, you'd either be the universe as a trivial fact or you would have a mind that, that could decay into entropy. Um, it would not survive. So we, we kind of threw out some ideas last time about how the mind, uh, for, for a universal mind to survive as a kind of a technology, it would need to be a mind made up of lots of parts. Okay. Which has been a theme we've been talking about with, with social inaction and even the brain. Right. Lots of people contributing by their actions to something that's a, a little more of a unified whole. Mm-hmm. Layer upon layer upon layer. Mm-hmm. And we're proposing how high and how advanced might those layers go. In... Hmm. It's almost I'm hearing um, when you say people combining like that, it's almost like becoming an omni-practice. You know, everyone contributing, and, and as as that happens, it's changing conditions um, from the ground up or from inside out. But it has a practice aspect because practice is about doing practices action in seek of being completed so that force uh of pulling in this case parts like people together could be another way of looking at practice yeah 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 we could think of it that way um because uh it is that that recurring problem of of how to deal with uh complex random um existence of mm-hmm. things just happening but all living systems have to um meet that by doing uh performing self uh, self-organizing um activities yes that in the process create themselves and also in the process we've talked about in the past create observers in relation to to that complexity and mm-hmm. that chaos um and uh, um, and so part of that fitting things together are observers upon observers upon observers. Um, so that's sort of what we're <laughs> we're talking about. Yeah, I get it.
Um, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the implications of and one, one, another recapping of of this idea of there having to have been a a technology invented for for um, the beings to get beyond uh, the physical limitations of of a world much as we live in, where mm-hmm. um, living systems will decay and die, and the mind with it. Um, if if uh, on the one hand you had just a simple computer simulation, we talked a little bit about what sort of computers there would have to be. It wouldn't be a simple one like a like a more advanced type of computer chip like we have because uh, physicist von Neumann predicted that um, one would have to uh, dismantle all the atoms in the universe to make enough uh, um, computer chips out of matter to, to make that work uh, within a relatively short amount of time, probably which would have already happened. So so we're, we're just posing that there is some technology that we don't really know what it is and we don't have to know for this discussion. Okay. Could be dark matter, could be dark energy, could be who knows what. Um, but we want to pose, we, we also pose that in order for um, all these uh, intelligent uh, societies to have invented things on their own, they would eventually clash and and fight um, to the point where probably there would just need to be one system that works very well and once you are have graduated into the capacity to to um, live in such a system there are rules um but they aren't they uh, rules uh, uh, i was saying just not necessarily um uh deeply involved rules but mostly rules of such such as playing nice with each other and not trying to destroy the whole universe mm-hmm. uh, and spoil it for everyone else um and but part of those rules too are that too many rules is becomes kind of another type of entropy entropy being defined as as uh both energy and perhaps information that's no longer useful sort of floats away yeah it's a kind of death so so there's a real need for freedom there's a real need even for free will yeah i think yeah um it can be constrained much as as our free world will is constrained by the needs of society and others but um it, it, it is fundamentally free um so um i think that the um the need to have free will um, and avoiding entropy it does have this sense of balancing individuality with, with the collective mm-hmm. in, in increasingly sophisticated ways, but ways that that do need to perhaps have some similar themes. Like I've always, there's a lot of uh, good sci-fi written about the hive mind. Um, um, Stephen Baxter has a nice series of books uh, he has a concept of, of the coalescence um, where where uh, he, he kind of visions of various um, human communities if if they are, are isolated long enough will become uh, like individual individuated highs where you have the reproductive <laughs> bunch and the engineer bunch uh, um, but it, but uh, they become a kind of a devolution of intelligence in a way they become almost uh, 
uh, useless uh, in, in a sense for for the capacity to evolve because they kind of break down into the minimum energy needed to continue the hive. I don't want that. Yeah, so... <laughs> Scrap you know, that idea. Yeah, and maybe they'd be very advanced, you know, and, and even ones that are competing with, with other sorts. So you could have, you know, the, the hive-like um, insectoid race uh, called the, the trantaloids who are <laughs> battling the, the, uh, the um, you know, the individual... Uh, species from zeta reticuli or, or those kind of things but I think I think more likely um, you'll find that there are uh, paths to um, find that balance that are kind of there once you kind of graduate into those levels um, and and being able to um, uh, find find that balance of individuality and, and participation in, in the collective mind which is what we do I think in, in yeah. our own lives and in, in the social world. I don't think we have a, a sense of the collective mind yeah. um, as individuals at least carrying around a sense of the collective mind but you look at it from a, a different uh, lens and you have a, a clear sense of a collective uh, um, but a more complex I think the, the inaction perspective is a very complex it's a more it's a more subtle and involved notion of what collective is because okay. it is it is uh, collective in effect without being collective in in practice in the sense that what we do in in talk for example in talking conversation mm-hmm. is a lot of work around acting as though I could read your mind yes as though we had shared understanding as though I could predict what you're doing but it's mostly through my acting in a predictable way and us um, focusing on that shared understanding and then putting the more of our energy into highlighting those differences and working those out adjusting to what we don't mutually understand Um, and then topics of conversation can kind of flow along in that sense Mm -hmm. Um, so we're kind of thinking of of that sense of something that it, it works as though it's um, a collective and yet is still very clearly um, a, a matter of, of parts and, and individual entities working working together. Okay. Um, so, um, so one of so one of the problems of working out something like a a, a layer of of um, beyond the the social inaction in which one could live is is that that balancing of the hive mind uh, versus the individual uh, and and kind of working out through through entropy. Um, another though I think principle might be this: there's still going to be that problem of of uh, needing to kind of defend the whole from threats basically unknown threats there's that sense of survival there needs to be that survival of the of the the interface in which um these these more advanced uh, uh, community type minds might exist hmm. and i i've been thinking that is probably one where you do have to kind of leave in quite a bit of room for bad actors a need for the, that free will you need you need uh, groups that find more clever ways to uh, attack and find fault <laughs> with the whole in order to make a, 
uh, a better hole that that um, uh, is able to predict those kind of um, errors hmm. that that would ultimately destroy everything. Hmm. But always, of course, one step ahead of any of those uh, um, nefarious plans succeeding. Hmm. Um, so I think there's there's a little bit of a correspondence there to to um, why we uh, we uh, allow for um, I mean we we have lots of range of of uh, people who uh, are, are more egotistic more evil more able to um, uh, commit evil or mm-hmm. uh, be self-focused versus community focused you have to have that that big range in order to have more degrees of freedom for the for maintaining the whole. See, that is an unusual idea, to me at least, because an idealistic thinker would be, oh, well, we're, when we reach this higher plane of existence, we'll have rid ourselves of all evil and all bad guys and we'll all be singing Kumbaya or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I get this notion that no matter how you visualize an evolving, maybe the evolving isn't the right word, but an ascending kind of way of being, is that there has to be, in order for there to be freedom, we have to allow every aspect of life, including the way humans behave, have a space, if you will. Mm-hmm. You can't. The effort to continue to rid evil, which mm-hmm. is what all of our history, all mm-hmm. of our f- history, as well as our science fiction, seems to me to be exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we either need to have a good reason, like you're giving now, to say, okay, it's just going to be there. But here's the good news: it has to be in order for the effort to continue to better to move into a into a more uh, overall satisfying existence that has to be there because without that kind of tension the aspect that we need to get better just won't mm-hmm. it just hangs yeah it, there's nothing pushing it nothing it comes to that motivating entropy, entropy heat death where all of a sudden there's yeah. <laughs> it so in a way, down to a halt in a way the bad stuff increases the chances that we will survive entropy is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. It, yeah. it helps uh, kind of ex- ex- export it uh, in, into something. But I think the, the notion of, if there's a notion of omnibenevolence, it's sort of that idea that, that uh, the more advanced levels of community, um, layer upon layer, have already kind of seen most of the evil things. Certainly that, that us, or maybe even societies a thousand years in advance of us, can come up with. And we'll let them play it out as sort of a lesson uh, internally. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately they'll say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and um, and they kind of uh, put an end, end to it or kind of – I like the notion. I, actually, um, the, the, uh, seven, the um, uh, 18th century uh, mis- uh, mystical uh, philosopher uh, Emanuel Swedenborg had an had a interesting – uh, notion kind of ex- inspired uh, by his experiences in, in um, what could be described as an extended afterlife, ex- uh, after death experience, uh, communing with with um, 
with uh, angels or who knows what, but whatever uh, his experience, he had an interesting notion that that hell, that that uh, if you died and went to the hell, you're not going to a place. You're just kind of having some part of your personality that that is capable of doing evil or is really tied up in things like mm-hmm. like certain desires. You just have a place. And it kind of spins along and and lives that life, but can never quite get out of it unless maybe they they learn a lesson and and uh, um, do better. But you the, so the idea of a simulated universe is the simulated places to put uh, entities that just don't quite uh, want to play nice, and they can live out their life, but they're in a simulation like an, an extended playpen. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, and uh, perhaps you get tired of it after a while. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah. So a new definition of hell. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. So. Kinda, it's a little more gentle than just uh, making one mistake. And, yeah, burning and, someone. And, yeah, for all eternity. That mm-hmm. seems like a big waste. So, um, so another... Uh, aspect that I've been fooling around with with these ideas what is what kind of communication would be possible if you were in, able to exist in a um, domain in which uh, you're not limited to the speed and the other limitations of symbolic words hmm. um, let's say you could uh, if you wanted to know, um, if you met someone new, you might be able to almost instantly have a little encapsulation of what their life has been up until now. Wow. Summarized and indexed. Wow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then go on from there or, um, you know, or rather than, or had a really new idea, but were able to, to, um, put it out there in all its permutations and emotional significance and everything else. So without words, without words or without at a great speed, but, but also one that still actually works as a type of communication. Um, I I think you'd still have to kind of look at, well, what are some of those basic principles of, of how our more limited brains would work? And I, I think there would still be some of those, um, principles of, of an action I've been putting out like largely um, the idea of, of, of prediction mm-hmm. that largely what we're trying to do is is balance a prediction of the future um, with with a recollection of the past but but in which past is largely being recreated in in relation to the to the future to mm-hmm. give us a sense of present yes. I think you'd still have to do that at some some level, even though it's it, even if it's um, larger and extended and into vast capacities. Um, you know, we could even think about how we're almost there in in a certain way with with like our Google search. Um, how so? Because, I mean, you could kind of think of that that sense of 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 being able to now say, well. I need a certain amount of knowledge about what happened and yeah uh when was the civil war fought and what was there a battle over here and then you just ask your phone yeah <laughs> so the the act of being able to reach out and have that kind of information much more instantaneously available yeah in the course of it of an interaction is something that we didn't even have um 10 years ago 10 years even. ago no and, and yeah wow so so you kind of 
so we could kind of think about well, what are minds like if that's if, if if we don't even have to pick up a phone, but you're just kind of able to tap into something. Um, it's one i one idea I thought of if, if this level of technology exists, then what what is that tapping into something? Is there a need to to record everything, to mm. record all knowledge, to 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 store it, or at least um, make make uh, some relevant subset of it available? Hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, in lots of the, uh, esoteric, uh, thinking and even some religions have this notion of, of a, of a record that some, uh, one of the most common terms is, is an Akashic record mm-hmm. that, that somehow everything is recorded, including our, ourselves and, um, uh, uh, sometimes it's applied to past lives for for traditions or ideas that have this notion of reincarnation. That there's a need to store it. There's a need to kind of um, have that record because it is all about learning and having a basis of learning mm-hmm. and developing and coming up with novelty by knowing what's been done before. Yes. But I think I think if you really thought about what that is, it wouldn't just be a simple static bunch of knowledge. It'd be a more dynamic knowledge uh, something that's that's needs to be indexed in a way that there would need to be sort of a a librarian with patrons you have to have a question and and that question the way that question is asked would have to dynamically uh, reproduce what that past might be relevant uh yeah to, to live in, in almost like uh so that that record of the past becomes almost like the like the simulated universe uh of of um running scenarios, even having a little bit of a predictive quality to it, yeah, um, where yeah. otherwise you just find facts that have their own sort of entropy and are... It would have to be, useful. in a way, in, uh, Santa, using my own words, but to a very th- elegant idea, but it, there would have to be a story quality, yeah, in a sense. In order to have a record, the, the great record, <laughs> capital R... Uh, that you're talking about in order for it to move us emotionally as well as uh, socially i think it has to it has to have the feeling that we get when we're listening to a story i'm just imagining this now mm-hmm. i mean if you give me four or five facts there's a cup you know there's a plate that's a cup and a plate yeah. but if 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 you were to say, you know, the last person who drank out of this cup mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> fell over and died, I would look at, <laughs> I'd look into this cup and I'd go, oh God! But it's something about it. Maybe it's just I'm projecting human nature. I think we just need story. I don't know if other living beings need story, but I think in order for us to move into this realm of technology you're talking about, we can't just ask Google in a sense without having a reason to ask Google and some idea of how that connects to our story and yeah. our lives. Because we know how Google likes to respond. It likes to sell us something. It likes to draw a question. And that's, that's it's become true. A model. Uh, but it's not... It's true. You know, maybe that's not the best solution uh, well, if that's sort of become universal. Um, you can refute my notion of story and move on. No, I like it. <laughs> I, like it. I, think, I think it's true and I think it's the, what we're ta- part of what we're talking about are, are there even in this fantastical world of a universal mind, are there basic correspondences to what we've been talking about? About how yeah. 
humans we interact. Um, so another side of that, in addition to kind of needing the, a much more rich ability to, to record the past, but still have that past as something um, that, that's shaped to the relevance of the immediate um, needs would also be kind of a, a prediction, the ability to predict. And I think there, there's a, there's a big debate about whether um, there is such time, such a thing as time travel, whether the world is determined, there's a real future that determines the present. Um, I think for, for our current discussion, we can propose that there is no ability to see the future, that there is a real now. Um, maybe it's a little, uh, uh, a little fuzzy at the level of quantum or subquantum or this or that as, as to what the now is and how flexible time is. But I, I don't think, unless perhaps you gave it to the, to the full universal mind that any, uh, advanced, um, aliens or whatnot are able to see the future or be from the future and interact with the past. It kind of, for various reasons, which I won't get into, I think you end up having to, to have only a simulated universe at that point. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to... But messing up a good future, given that I want given, to have it, yeah. It, so if you really couldn't predict the future, then then uh, it's really important to. I mean, if you can't, if you can't actually know the future, predicting the future is very important because yeah. uh, otherwise you end up with all these situations that could become essentially that th survival threat, even yeah. maybe for the whole universe, because maybe there's other universes outside too that might get us. So you never know. Mm -hmm. um, but in any case, uh, within the universe. Uh, um, you're trying to get to that state where, where um, you are trying to allow for threats, but also come up with better solutions that can overcome them once they emerge. So I, I kind of propose that in this technology that allows perhaps the mind to survive outside the limitations of biology, there's also a, a massive prediction engine. Same as there's a massive recording engine, there's a massive prediction engine. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, almost like you know, using about as much uh, capacity as as might be uh, eked out of the subatomic whatever it is that this works in, mm -hmm. using a significant uh, resources to to f predict what's going to happen next. And I and I and if this is necessary, then those entities that are going to uh, be able to to live in that world, advanced enough to live in that world, are going to be able to use that prediction engine. Yes. So they might live in a world that's highly predictable, um, but it's also one where I would say you kind of would have to balance your ability, the, the amount of prediction you, you either get to use or want to use, because if you were to predict everything that was going to happen next you'd you end up not wanting to live yeah you're back in an entropy situation yeah it's like okay you're just on there's no more fun no more excitement no more surprise nothing, yeah nothing just so oh, yeah so if you thought of things like the some of the reincarnation uh, uh philosophies will say we we live humans are uh are born to earth uh with with a very little ability to to predict what happens next just to live in that much deeper novelty, but it's also very hard and, and is what the Buddhists would call the, uh, suffering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, it'd be interesting then to, to, to kind of look at, well, what would the next level be 
and I, I don't have much to say about it, but it would be one where is there even a, a way that they could a, achieve a sort of language in which you have this this tapping into an almost perfectly recorded past that is shared and, and flexible, but also a very deep prediction of the future and converse with those abilities. Oh my goodness. It kind of gets... That makes my head hurt. Yeah, it ought to. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how much we can say about it, but it's kind no, of... No, I, I, I love... I lo- it sounds like a feeling of seeking. It's like yeah. if we could reach that point where we have a perfect record of the past and a perfect record of the future, which, of course, would never be perfect, but it's certainly more than we have now. Yeah. The question is what kind of human beings would we be? Yeah, because you could almost see people kind of coming up with advanced AI that and kind of living in that world to the extent where it starts to, to, to do that huh. to some extent. Like the really, uh, you know, you almost see that. You hear like the, the kids who get so much into video games that they're just living their lives in video games. Yeah, which it becomes a reality. Which are very programmed, a very programmed set of set of future activities and, and their yeah. recorded past. And yeah, it becomes, a, but they I think their minds start to decay. <laughs> Literally oh yeah. Well, anything yeah. else they need to do with their minds is is re, is reduced, and so they can put more of their energy into playing the game. Yeah. But um, the, yeah. But that's so. That's sort of. It's just an interesting conjecture that we don't certainly don't have to solve here. But no, I, but I, but I love the idea in terms of an action. Yeah. There that we are. We the all of existence is moving in is actually moving in a direction that's that's good news for me because mm-hmm. some you know nihilists say yeah nothing is nothing and nothing but i i have that feeling of um uh, uh hopefulness in a way mm-hmm. hopefulness because there's uh enough current evidence like you just mentioned with the ai that we're figuring some things out and putting some things together that are moving us in a better direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they could also... Or kill us way. all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or kill us all. That's always what could go wrong. <laughs> Luckily, we have lots of movies to give us, and books, sci-fi oh, yeah. notions to kind of play those out. Yeah. But, you know, I've also in that regard, if there, if even a slightly advanced, uh, you know, uh, civilization that we encounter either they come here as, as in, in their ufos notion that they already have or or we meet them in the future mm-hmm. we may find that there's a fundamental level in which we cannot understand them and they cannot understand us and that needs to be overcome maybe that's it's what you mean by communication of another kind yeah so so for them to really be able to dial back their minds to get mm. back to that little primitive thing uh, level that we're at is similar to us trying to to um, really live in the mind of an ant or mm. <laughs> at best maybe our cats. Uh, I think we could do that okay, but we find if we really look at how we interact with cats, we're mostly anthropomorphizing them and thinking that they That's understand true. exactly what we want them to do. That's right, <laughs> which they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. Okay. <laughs> so, They're cats. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a fun challenge, and it's one that you'll hear talked about every now and then in the UFO uh, podcasts and discussions, and, and even ones where, where um, you know, reports of alien abductions where they've been taken up in the spaceship. They, there's there's in, intriguing ways that they describe uh, how they're trying to get that 
meet that communication barrier that that uh, kind of made me think of some of those aspects of, that we we're, that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I don't think we need to go too much beyond that since we're uh, roughly within our our normal time but um i just wanted to add that to what we were talking about before i think it's it's something that we can uh play with uh, you know one big question of course is what's what is the current relation of human beings to such a world are we now in any part attached to that potential technology in which we survive death I'll leave it on a simple question. Uh, or are we merely um, still evolving and have to, uh, you know, keep working at it until we're at that privileged level? Yeah. The only, some of the things that make me suspect that perhaps we are at least being given at, at, at the, uh, perhaps a kindergarten level, some aspect to that access is that all the reports of, uh, psychic phenomena, you know, mind reading, mm -hmm. then what we put together as a model of the brain does not easily support that mind reading beyond, um, you know, very carefully, uh, you know, w w um, predicting what someone else is supposed to say. But there's lots and lots of instances and lots of very well done tests where people can know things that they could not possibly know. Yeah about what someone else is thinking or doing, like holding up a card yeah. um, and knowing what card they're seeing. And then you have um, literally hundreds of thousands of reports of people um, coming back from near death and, and reporting on oh, very, yeah. very consistent things and also knowledge that they cannot possibly have. You have thousands and thousands of reports of children being born who know very accurate things about someone else's life who's died, yeah. Yeah. including going to that town and finding relatives yeah. and finding things yeah. on gravestones and so it kind of suggests well maybe maybe we uh do have some access to that maybe that's uh, uh one of the reasons uh we get to evolve as far as we have because we're being um shepherded towards uh that membership in uh, a, a wider community and um, perhaps some of the rules of being uh, part of that community are ones that are um, uh, shared over and over. And, and uh, many of the religious and exoteric, uh, uh, esoteric uh, uh, philosophies and theologies um, in a confused way. But I think we could probably think of more than a few shared themes that that might um, give us a, a clue that we are um, perhaps uh, able to participate uh, and grow as a as a uh, species um, into that next level. Well, that was great, and let me just give you my final thought. Um, you mentioned earlier in the discussion of, of this notion that there seems to always be something uh, happening to tear down or to block or somehow rule out what, in a nutshell, I call the progress you're describing. And 
in recent time in our lifetime, you and I, we've enjoyed the science, we call it fictions, we enjoy speculating like you're doing right now, and yet there would be someone right next to us who might say, stop that, it's heresy, mm -hmm. it's uh, blah, 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 that throw all kinds of words at it, and we'd, it'd create a shame condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, for one, <laughs> am on record right now saying, baloney shame, I, I think this is the time, what better time, to allow more of that kind of uh, free thought and conversation around them, these other possibilities to flourish. Mm -hmm. As an institutional guy, though, I keep asking, where? Where can we let this happen? We've mm -hmm. closed down our colleges and universities mm -hmm. to the extent that we can, you know, certain things are no longer are not allowed to be discussed. Yeah, if I were a professor, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't even think of these things. No, or if you didn't express them, someone would be on their yeah. phone reporting you to the dean. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to trivialize all this to, because it's a very important conversation, but I think that that there has to become, therefore, a group of us who are practitioners mm -hmm. of the search for this new technology. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it has to amount to people who are willing to, to risk doing, saying, doing, searching differently mm -hmm. than the rank and file, if you will, or the people who have been relegated to a state of shame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why not? Mm -hmm. I don't know who those practitioners in this are. Maybe they're you and me. They're out there. But they're out there. And um, perhaps they need to be talking with each other in a different way, not just always talking about we're on the fringe, mm -hmm. but maybe time the clock is running and maybe the um, rest of us who, are not, who think we're not on the fringe should express ourselves in a way that we say, okay, let's, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Mm -hmm. Um I think that's what's going to transform us, L letting these ideas come in mm -hmm. and rummage around in there. Mm -hmm. And also that we aren't alone, that that uh, yeah. they're very likely it would need to be uh, uh, representatives of these uh, higher, um, more advanced uh, communities of mine who would want us to succeed and need us to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's another damn waste of... of of uh, uh, carbon, perhaps so they could roll over to another another yeah, galaxy yeah, then, and find and, some more willing. And their and their ability to reset and start over is itself rather concerning. Yeah. <laughs> Should things go really bad? Yeah. So um, so anyway, I'm yeah. just I'm emoting, yeah. but I I think this is yeah. a very helpful um, step toward a bigger question of what is an action after all. Yeah. And and when our next then we'll return to. Uh, uh, a book that I'm in the middle of that that uh, in strange synchronicity is tying together uh, everything that we've been preparing our talks about, but I hadn't read the book yet until now. <laughs> well, that's confirmation, by, isn't by, it? Uh, yeah, by by um, Mark Solms called the Hidden Spring, and he gets um, into some very interesting areas of the nature of consciousness, but very uh, deeply into back into neural uh, biology. Great. Um, so we'll, what's the name of that again? The the Hidden Spring by Mark Solms S O L M S. Um, but we'll we'll talk about well, that'll that. be the next 
maybe the next installment, if Dave reads it fairly soon, because uh, we are on vacation. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And isn't it cool that you pick up a book and start reading it and start thinking, hey, wait a minute. This I've ties together been... 40 years of things I've been thinking about. Yeah. And that we've been doing a whole bunch of podcasts. Yeah, and uh, how does that happen? Yeah. Is that not something beyond the, the normal? There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dave, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world, slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.